Kieran, what were you saying about Richard Pan? He's just chubbier than you'd think he'd be. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean by that? He's just carrying, he's carrying more more weight around the waist than you think, you know, a first class wicketkeeper slash batsman would have. Cut away for four. Carlos Rathwick! Remember the name! And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Finishes off in style. I was, I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on meeting. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes long. Oh, you right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Oh, how long ago does England winning the World Cup feel right now? Welcome to the Rongan, and more specifically, welcome along to a special England Collapse edition of the Rongan. Yeah, that is the sound of collapse happening all around us. It's been the one thing that has soundtracked this god-awful test series that we have practically endured over the past five games, isn't it, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, it's always so sort of depressingly predictable, yet pierced by glimmers of hope, which leave us sort of clinging on. Um, I think if we had not shown any semblance of cricketing ability whatsoever through the whole thing, it almost would have not been quite so bad. But to get ourselves into positions where you think we might, you know, get a get a win or get a draw or whatever it might have been, um, you know, we, we really do manage to snatch defeat from the jaws of other things at points, don't we? Ollie, I'm intrigued as to, I'm intrigued as to what you thought was semblance of cricketing ability shown by England, because I can't think of many examples in this series. That's interesting you say that. You know, you know what, in preparation for this podcast, I was um, sort of getting, um, you know, my, I suppose my slagging off in order and working out who, who I was going to take to the pump. But I actually think there are players in, you know, Mark Wood, probably Broad, Anderson at points who have actually played all right and done it as they'd expected. And the batting has been absolutely woeful, which we'll get into, I'm sure, over this um, podcast. But for English bowlers in Australia, which isn't an easy um, you know, task anyway, I think, I think they haven't done that badly. The batting, on the other hand, has been woeful. Yes, uh, I, Bertie, are joined by uh, England fan and Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club's very own in-house journalist, Ollie Godden, and also India fan, Saj Agwell. It's been, it's been a week, week, or past month or so uh, for all of us. Uh, I hope your thoughts are with us at this time. Uh, but you tune in now, not to a normal episode of The Wrong, and no, 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 no. This isn't your normal, oh, are England bad? The difference today is that you are now listening from now on. The clock has started. You are listening to our very own Collapse Along, uh, an as live uh, depiction of uh, England's collapse from tea. Tea has just finished. The players are walking out, and barring the sort of nothingness of players trudging back and walking out to the middle, we will be getting as live wicket alerts from England being two down. Ollie, England went into tea on the third day in Tasmania, two wickets down. It was generally okay. They lost Milan, they lost Burns, uh, but it was nice to see that uh, that for once they managed to put some runs on the board in the opening partnership, <laughs> yeah. which makes such a difference, it seems. There was so much optimism when I woke up this morning, I forgot the cricket was on. 68 for none, that's fantastic. You know what, Bert, I've done exactly the same. This test has been different from the others with its timing. So typically we've been able to wake up, haven't we, to, well, it depends whether it's a working week or on the weekend, but we've been able to work up to a score, to an update. And today I woke up and completely forgotten it was on. 
um, and Georgia was here and I, and I had this sudden realization it was on. It was updated to the score when we were none down and thought, this is it. You know, England are back from the, uh, from the brink of uh, a 4-0 drubbing and we're going to escape the 3-1. And then in the next sort of, I don't know, just the period of time that it took me to get ready in the morning, it was, um, it was dismantled. But yeah, even two down, you thought there was still a semblance of hope. Uh, you've got to really feel for your girlfriend that as she wakes up on a Sunday morning, uh, she expects maybe a lovely breakfast. Uh, you might even bring it to her in bed. I imagine you're that sort of uh, romantic fellow. Uh, but all she sees is you going onto the Crick Info app, seeing the phrase 68 for none, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to really ruin a day, first of all, uh, because you're going to be gone. And secondly, uh, you're going to be in a foul mood an hour later. I'll contest that first point because I was still half asleep and said to her, what's the score? So I involved her. <laughs> she your updater? Yeah, she, she went on BBC Sport and found the score. So I definitely involved her from the outset. And then then she sort of realised that England were doing quite well. She sort of understands her cricket now um, and got quite excited by the idea that, you know, her she's a patriot. She was uh, excited by the idea that we might have been doing all right. So I'll contest that. Broadly speaking, uh, to paint the picture of uh, my morning, uh, I uh, I got straight out. I, I went straight into the shower. Uh, a wicket was lost in the shower. I went to the glass of water before I went off to uh, play 85 minutes as a right wing back, very much running in treacle by the end. We were five down by the time I got onto the tram, which was 10 minutes later, it seemed. And then by the time my football match was finished, England had been all out for about an hour, which mm. even by their standards is extremely impressive. Satch, did you watch this? Did you watch it, A? And if you did, was it what were your emotions? Completely glee, I suppose? You want to watch the Ashes test? I didn't, I didn't watch any of the Ashes test, but well, I... Well, I follow, follow what was going on. I was on following what was going on. I saw it on Cricket Info, so I think... I, I think it, was it, it was this morning, wasn't it? I can't... I'm, I'm so baffled with time zones, I don't even know what, what day it is. But I think I woke up this morning and saw it was like 64 or something for none. I was like, nah, surely not. They couldn't, could they? And then, <laughs> not even and, then. And and then I, I go downstairs and do my business in the bathroom. You know, you know the, the normal the normal activities, including the shower and whatnot. And um, come out to a text message from Bertie Moores saying something along the lines of "fuck me." I looked at the score and it was 124 for 10, and I just burst out laughing. It was, it was, it was glee. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> The most glee that could uh, possibly uh, be felt from uh, a man in the Alps. Uh, but I think I think uh, we're getting something through from Tasmania. Uh, we've got an alert. How is that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I did ask. I did ask all of us, including the lad who is allowed to put on an Indian accent in the team, <laughs> to send through their best uh, how's that's and how is that ones. Uh, none of them obliged, so I've had to play everyone's roles. Uh, but let's cross live to Tasmania, because I think something is going on. It's patched by Carey. They've got their distancing right tonight. And Cam Green, he has his third. England in all sorts of trouble now. England in all sorts of trouble now. Uh, three wickets down, four eighty odd. Uh, in a real pickle, you could say. Crawley going to Cam Green uh, for thirty odd. Caught behind by Carey. Uh, to be fair, very decent ball from Cam Green. You've, you've got to give him credit, but a bit of a flashy drive from uh, from Crawley. Not the most defensive of strokes. 
Yeah, I actually think I was watching at this point, and I thought the commentators over eggs how well Crawley had done a little bit in the sort of previous couple of overs, because I thought he was starting to look a bit twitchy, coming across to four-fifth stump, trying to work it away to the leg side. And I got the impression he was feeling a little bit tied down. So yes, you know, it wasn't a bad ball. He obviously searched for a bit of movement, um, which is what you have to do as a bowler. You have to be a little bit brave. But it was a very, very loose shot. And he, I don't think he needed to be quite that expansive, given the, the state of the game and the fact that, you know, you lose another one, two wickets there and, and it, the collapse was inevitable therefrom. Yeah, I think it's very easy for us to say, oh, he shouldn't necessarily have pushed at that. But to be fair to Green, it was it was a really good ball. And I think he got the first three wickets in the innings and sort of proved to be a real a real game changer in a way, given that England were looking pretty good for 60-odd. I mean, th- there was an umpire's call that went England's way. There were a couple of edges that didn't quite find their men. Uh, but England had opened, opened very nicely, and uh, Green did did that sort of Ben Stokes job of of being the guy to turn up, which as an England fan or anyone who doesn't support Australia, it's really quite a frightening concept because they've had quite a lot of very good players and very good teams over the years, uh, but they've never had a proper all-rounder. And Cam Green has, has begun to come really good in this series, hasn't he? Yeah, he's done it in parts, I suppose, across the across the series and improved um, in this test that he's, he's got the ability with bat and ball, which, as you say, is quite scary. And, you, you know, he, he was clever because he was bowling to just sort of back of a length and banging it in um, and that was I suppose his, his surprise ball if you can call it that that was you know Crawley saw the length and decided that was the one that he could go after so you've got to give him a bit of credit for the way that he set him up um, and yeah Green, you know Green's it's exciting from a neutral point of view what, what Green could go on to do what is he 22 I yeah, say. I think so. Shane, um, Shane Watson's going to be a bit disappointed than you saying Australia haven't had the proper all-rounder for a while I think he I think he made a pretty good fish to it. very underrated cricketer but yeah, on Cam Green, look, I think he's uh, he clearly improved. Well, has he improved? He didn't take a wicket last last year against India in that series, and now he's taking a shed load against England. I don't know whether that's he's just improved or England are <laughs> shite. Uh, could be a bit of both. Uh, but you know, if he does carry this form on, he, he certainly looks better in, as a batsman as well. If he carries this form on, I think Australia got a real asset there, as as every team around the world knows. A fast bowling all rounder is is nothing to be sniffed at. Listening to Andy Zaltzman on TMS this morning, uh, I think as far as he was uh, aware, it was the first time since 2013, I could be wrong, uh, but the man was Mitchell Johnson, the last player for Australia to take to score 200 runs and take uh, 15 plus wickets in a series, or was it 10 plus wickets? I can't quite remember, but I, that's the problem. This is why I'm not a statistician. I'm too I'm too bloody vague, but ultimately it's been a number of years since they've had a player who could who could do that sort of job and the players that who had done it were previously were Shane Warne in 2005 in England and Mitchell Johnson no one in the past 20 years has looked anywhere close to sort of filling filling that role that Cam Green has also some really really useful runs in this series a couple of a couple of 74s he's got he scored two for uh, two 74s in the series and he, as a bowler he, he sort of seemed to take a little bit of time to get going with Australia but as gradually sort of clicked into place quite nicely I think it helps well clearly it helps that he's got Cummins and Stark in front of him Hazelwood whoever it is so he can settle quite seamlessly into that what is it third fourth bowler or the second second change if he had you know if there's too much pressure on his shoulders I think that could easily get the better of him in the same with the bat he's fortunate in this series that he's had um 
some, you know, Labuschagne and Smith probably haven't had the series that we thought they might, but, you know, play, players of repute and Warner up there as well, and Kawaja potentially in head. So the time it does get to him to go in, typically the, 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 the runs are on the board and the pressure's off a bit. And that's going to bode well, I think, going forwards when he, he might have to become a frontline seamer or he might be you know, moved up the other potentially to, to five like Stokes is now. Uh, so England currently uh, three down uh, in, their, in their second innings. Uh, they're chasing about 270. There's still a chance. There is still a chance because in the middle at the moment are Root and Stokes, two very good batsmen the sort of partnership that England will be pinning their hopes on. Uh, before we find out exactly what happens with that partnership, uh, I think we've got Satch on the call. Uh, where are you coming from, Satch? You, you, I don't, judging by the internet, it sounds like you're a little bit sort of in the middle of the Amazon. Uh, not quite the Amazon. I'm in the Alps at the moment in, in France, on the, uh, you know, not, not too far away from Switzerland. Um, but yeah, it seems to be the current, current theme of my life at the moment. Nobody seems to know where I am. I, I, I barely know where I am at any given time right now. So, yeah, I'm in the mountains having a little bit of a, uh, a having a ski for the first time in my life, which is quite interesting. Uh, are you good on skis? I'm going to find out, I, I, I assume, over the next month or so while I'm here. <laughs> Send footage because I don't want to be harsh, uh, but I don't back you. <laughs> Why is that? Why? I don't know. I just, I just think that, that maths man doesn't go with ski man in terms of your brands. Look, my, my brand is unpredictability, Bertie. And I could be unpredictably great at it. You just don't know. Yeah, you one week know. you're in South Africa. One week uh, you're in uh, you're in the Alps. Uh, on the subject of South Africa, you've actually been there uh, for a number of weeks, haven't you? I have been. I've been, yeah. I was there for about a month. Um, just, be, and- just before the test series, actually, which is a bit of a shame. I would love to have been there for that. But uh, in hindsight, maybe it wasn't a great idea for me to be there, as I'm sure we'll as I'm sure we'll discuss at length now. Well, n- well now it's time to talk about that test series. Uh, South Africa against India. South Africa winning the series 2-1. India, they, have a, they don't have a great record in South Africa, but given that South Africa are a side in transition, uh, one, arguably their best player, Quinton de Kock, has retired from test cricket, a side which is gradually a bit of bits and pieces from all over players coming into the test side players being brought back into the test side in the case of uh, Dwayne Olafia and South Africa have won the series uh, 2-1 with to be honest two very very impressive and in the end quite comfortable victories yeah it's been it sounds strange to say because regardless where the South Africa side in transition when they play at home they're a formidable side to play against but this series is an upset, I think. I think most people, I think everybody would have said India were favourites. Um, everybody expected India to win, especially going 1 0 up in the series. India, for certain, expected to go over there and win. Um, you know, we've never won in South Africa, never won a test series in South Africa before. So this series has kind of been earmarked as the one to go for, given that, as you said, South Africa side in transition. Um, obviously, we didn't know this before the start of the series, but Quinton de Kock decides to retire, and this is supposedly some sort of all-conquering India side that's won in Australia twice and is on the verge of winning in England. Um, you know, it seems like it, it seems like the stars of the line for India to really, it really, really nail that final frontier. It is the final frontier for Indian cricket test winning the Test series in South Africa, um, but it, it wasn't to be for a number of reasons. I think first and foremost, we have to give. A lot of credit to South Africa. They played very, very well. 
Um, okay, they were outclassed in that first game to some extent. But, you know, after that, this, the final two test matches, they bowled exceptionally well. You know, and, and, and that's no mean feat given that Indians bowling pack is superb. Um, but we were out bowled by South Africa. Uh, you know, we can come on to that in more detail as to why the reasons are. Um, but they also batted better. I, I know that you know, sounds silly to say you bowl better and you bat better and you win the game. But, um, you know, this this side in transition seems to have unearthed a few real gems. Uh, Keegan Peterson, that number three, uh, has been the real find of the series for me. I think he's been, he looks looks every bit of test match batsman. I think he's only in his, maybe his third or fourth, fifth test match, but looked very, very assured and, you know, essentially masterminded the chase in this third match. Um, and I think had, had had a couple of good hands in, in the previous matches. So he's a real he's a real find. Marco Janssen um, is an interesting one because he was actually snapped up by the Mumbai Indians in the IPL. And I remember sending a text message to my mate who's South African back in April saying, uh, Marco Janssen, some 20-year-old, six-foot-eight, being pole quick. If Mumbai Indians have scouted him, he's probably going to be South Africa's greatest ever sportsman. And now he's... Uh, He's not quite there yet, but he's made his debut against India and had a very, very good series. So, uh, you know, the, the future looks bright for him. And, yeah, Dwayne Olofier has been, been a good a good, um, a good return for him. And then you've got you know, the captain, Dean Elgar, who's, who we know is a, a really gritty, stoic cricketer. And, you know, he played that incredible innings in the second test match to, to mastermind that chase. All in all, you know, fair play to them. I can't, I can't criticise. Well, I've got to hold my hands up and say they were the better team over the series. Satch, I'm sure we'll come on to uh, India and indeed Bertie will be, you know, desperate to to get you sort of reeling. But <laughs> do you think this performance for South Africa was a statement going forward and it's a team that can actually compete with, you know, India, England and Australia, basically those those top three? Or is it a, a matter of an exceptional series from, from promising cricketers, you know, that might now fall away? What Where do you position the current crop of, of South African players and, and their... Um, Game I really think it's a bit of both, Ollie. As often, I'm going to sit on the fence here. I think it's in the middle. I, I think at, at home, I think they can certainly compete. Um, you know, going to India, maybe going to Australia, is a different kettle of fish. And I think they they'd still struggle. But you know, at home, they've 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 got the they've got the players to deal with the conditions at home. You know, they 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 pitches are pacey and bouncy, and they've got. A battery of quicks who are about six foot five and over who really hit the deck hard, which is you know one of the reasons why they outbowled India this time. Um, you know, I, I still think they are a side in transition. I think that's still true. I still think there's a bit to be seen from them, but it's promising. You know, like I said, I will reiterate Keegan Peterson to me just looked superb. I was really, really impressed by him, and I think if he can stay, you know, become a mainstay at number three for number three for South Africa, then there's a you know there's Real, real excitement there. Aidan Markram is one that's been disappointed in this series. You know, the, the lad has got bags of talent, mm. bags of talent. Um, but Crick Info's uh, for Dose Moon the, wrote, wrote an article that maybe he needs to go back to domestic cricket to find his form. But you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's, I think, he's going to be a, a linchpin for South African batting for years to come. Maybe he's just going through the torrid period at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, so I, th- I think, I think they can certainly compete. I think they may still be outside of that upper echelon of test sides. I'd still say India are a better test side. Don't get me wrong. Um, but they mm. they outclassed us in this series. They performed really well. They may not be able to continue that standard for series coming, but there's a lot to build on. And 
you know, I, I think I think cricket is a much better place with a strong South African side. Um, and in as much as I'm disappointed for India's sake, I'm gutted. Um, I think I think there's real promise there for cricket as a whole going forward. Sorry, I just turned myself down there. <laughs> uh, if they if South Africa is a team. The the most wickets taken in the series, Rabada twenty at nineteen, Janssen nineteen at sixteen, and Gidi fifteen at, at an average of fifteen. If they can, uh, be, they're all players with got bags of time on their side. That could in the future become a really potent fast bowling partnership or trio. If for a number of years, you, you'd, you'd hope for Australia, like the, uh, South Africa. Even I'm, I've got Australia on the brain. I can't I can't <laughs> get those clicks out of my head. But those uh, those three th- those three bowlers, they could form a really good basis for South Africa cricket rebuilding ultimately. Oh, hundred percent, without a doubt. I mean, we all know about KG Rabada. He's been class for years, and he's not really that old. The lad is an absolute superstar. I think I said that to you on our group message, didn't I? When I was sat in the airport, I said, uh, "You know, he's, he's he's phenomenal. He should be a poster boy for South African cricket for for a number of reasons." Um, Marco Janssen you know he's got all the attributes to, to do well in South Africa at least especially his height um, he looks very threatening one thing I will caveat though um, and this is not necessarily to take away from the performance but these pitches were really bowler friendly I mean the, 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 all three decks I would say were, were quite spicy um, and batting was nigh on impossible especially especially in the last couple of uh, couple of test matches. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how these lads get on in, on maybe flatter decks when they go to Australia um, mm. or where hitting the deck, hitting the back of the length isn't as potent as it might be, you know, in places like England. Um, that, that's, what I was, that's what I was saying in response to all these questions. There's, you know, there's still a little bit to, to see with regards to these guys being tested in different conditions. But yeah, without a doubt, the promise is there, I think. On the subject of uh, spicy decks, I think what's been so impressive in a way from South Africa this series is that the two matches that they've won, uh, the, uh, the second two matches, you look at that India India second innings uh, in, in the third test, and and we will touch on him, but Rishabh Pant's got 100 of India's 198 runs. It was an extraordinary innings. And then South Africa chained, uh, chased, chased 212 down for just three wickets. And it was a very similar situation in the second test that... It, these victories in were very interesting test matches to watch, but they did them with a real uh, professionalism and didn't really wobble. Mm, yeah, in the final it, chases. I think it, I was slightly surprised at how easy South Africa made the chases look because, like I said, the, the, the decks were they weren't easy to bat on. I think in the second test, there, you know, there was a bit of weather around, a bit of rain. And I think South Africa got maybe the rub of the conditions there, and um, the pitch had definitely settled down a bit on the, I think it was the fourth day when they chased it down or maybe the fifth day because um, there'd been a lot of rain and the pitch was uncovering it. It just, it just flattened out a bit and I think India definitely got the, the wrong side of the conditions there. But I, I, I don't think the pitch flattened out that much. I, I think it was definitely wasn't a little bit flatter in, in this third test match. Um, but I think that was marginal. Um, and I think it was just a, it was a terrific batting performance from South Africa in, in both test matches, but especially this one. And, um, you know, you could argue that India's bowlers were wayward, but, you know, if you want to go into a little bit more detail about India's bowlers in comparison to South Africa's bowlers, you know, we we all know that India's bowlers are a little bit, well, quite a bit shorter than South Africa's bowlers. 
And the MO of Indies bowlers is to, you know, bowl a little bit fuller, attack the stumps a lot more on a pitch or on pitches where that necessarily wasn't the way to go. Um, and that's not to say India should have bowled differently because they were playing to the strengths, but South Africa's, you know, really tall quicks were able to exploit the more natural lengths on these pitches rather than attacking the stumps and getting edges and things like that. I mean, all, all of India's 20 wickets in the third test went to catchers, um, which I think which I think says a lot, really. Um, and I think that's been the big difference between the two sides, um, as, as well as India's lack of a middle order. But that's, that's another kind of where you can maybe open in a minute. Such what I'm really disappointed is that you've you've ruined my stat of the week because because uh, I had this lined up. Stat stats, stats. of the week. <laughs> what is that? And this week's. St- Want to hear it again? No, that's stat, stat, stats of the week. Uh, the stats of the week uh, was Dear that for me. the first time ever in a test match, uh, when all 20 wickets have been taken across two innings by a side, all of them were catches. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's this week's stat of the week. I think you need to rename it Statch or Satch of the week. Or something. You know, didn't, didn't you used to, I thought it was a play on words back in the day in your Durham days, basically. A statue in Agarwal. Statue in Agarwal, statue attack. Look, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, that that jingle put, took me about three minutes to put together, plus an extra two minutes to add the reverb. Uh, so, if you would like to change it up and reclaim it as your own, be my guest. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to spend my time making jingles, but that was shocking, Bertie. That was not your finest. Ollie, what do you think of that? Can we have your opinion on this? Yeah, it was almost like a haunting quality. I didn't mind it for um, some of the impressive layers, but. I'm not sure I'll be keeping it going forward as well. <laughs> I say I, but it's your choice. You do, you do the, you do the work. Producer Bertie, well. you've been vetoed here, mate. You don't control the media board, do you? So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> but what are we all here for? We've 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 dwelt nicely on South Africa's uh, admittedly very good performance, but what we're all here for is uh, such a dissection of the fact that the Asian century unbelievably has been brought to a juddering halt just 21 years in 20 uh, 21 and a bit by none other than dean elgar who would have thought that he'd be your kryptonite <laughs> to be honest i could have thought that because he is he is just that type of cricketer and he's incredibly pugnacious incredibly gritty he's, and he, honestly since since india's last tour of south africa where it, 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 there was an even spicier deck, like a very, very dangerous deck at Johannesburg last time round in the third test. And Dean Elgar got hit on the helmet and tried to get the test called off. There's been some real bad blood between India and Dean Elgar. Like, you, I think after the first test match, there was some serious, like, um, serious frost between India's players and Dean Elgar. They, they, they don't like each other at all. So, it, you know, I'm not surprised he's ended up coming to hurt us. I think it's kind of, kind of written in the stars, that one. But yeah, Asian century's over. It's already over. I mean, I'm waiting for the great cricketer to do a, a piece on that. It's it's not lasted long, has it? I think maybe about a year since we won at the Gabba and the Asian century started. <laughs> so, well, uh, Bang- Bangladesh have picked it up. So the Bengali century is still on after they recorded a single <laughs> victory. But where does where does this series sit for India? Because a, a few people seem to be saying that if India had won this series, an away test series South Africa, which almost seemed like the final frontier, then it, it could sort of define them as one of the great test sides in, in the mould of the West Indies in the 80s and Australia for the 90s and noughties. Where does this series sort of sit for India in, in the pantheon of its test side? Yeah, I think 
I think if we had one, we it kind of would have completed the set. I know the England series is not necessarily over yet, but I think we can all agree we won that series. Um, and I, I think to some extent, India is a bit of a side in transition, as we can now see that Kohli's resigned, and we'll come probably come on to that as well. Um, but you know, we, we've had a we've had a middle order of Pajara, Kohli, and Rahane for a long time, and I think we all, at least we all know, or we all hope that that's probably going to come to an end now. I think with Pajara and Rahane going to get dropped. Um, and so, you know, that, that's not helped us this series. We had a couple of injuries as well. Rohit Sharma wasn't there, um, but you know, it would have it, it would have really defined this team. I don't think we can yet say it's as good a team as the West Indies of the eighties or that Australian side that won sixteen consecutive Test matches. I mean, they those those two are in the supreme tier of Test teams. But this current Test team is about as good as you're going to get from the rest you know it's certainly up there um, especially in an era where uh, playing away from home is is so difficult as we've seen because conditions are so um, batting, batting conditions are so difficult because you know pitches are being curated to the home team strength um, it, it would have been era defining especially for Coley you know you could say he's uh, uh, there's not many Asian captains who've won test matches in all countries never mind one series and all all those countries, um, it would have been would have been huge, but you know, it wasn't to be. And now Cody's retired. It's not going to be. It's not going to be him who's going to win the Test series in South Africa. We're going to have to look for someone else now, and hopefully next time we go, it'll, it'll happen. But yeah, um, it's 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 the end of the Coley era, and um, you know I, I think we're going to come on to that in a bit more depth, aren't we? Now I guess I'll leave leave that bit for the next the next segment. Yeah. Uh, again. I think it's worth some extra special praise that Pantenning's in the third test because although India didn't end up winning the game, Rishabh Pant's won 100 in out of 198 runs on a really spicy deck. He's just such an impressive, combative, fluid player who who you don't see many test test players like this who they may have quiet periods, but go out and just win games. And they didn't win the game. So it's a bit of a pointless statement, but he just has that potential, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess in this situation, he didn't win the game, but there's something to be said about iconic knocks or match-defining knocks, and he's definitely played another one there. And, you know, the lads 24, yeah, there's not many Indian cricketers who have played as many match-defining knocks as Richard Pant, and, you know... Especially cricketers who've had fifteen-year Test careers. He's he's twenty-four. I can't reiterate that. He's, here's a stat for you: he's the only wicketkeeper in Test history who scored a century in South Africa, Australia, England, and India. You know, he's he's breaking records left, right, and centre. And I think his most impressive aspect of everything is actually his ability to shut out noise. Every time he gets out, you know, with a dismissal that's considered reckless, the media are on him, the country's on him pundits are on him everybody's bashing the lad and he just seems to shut it all out he doesn't care but you know for better or for worse he just he doesn't care and I for one think we need to just lay off and we need to just enjoy the ride with him let him do what he does he's still young he's still learning he's going to make mistakes we we said this last year after the Gabba he's, he's going to make mistakes but the reward for what you get from those mistakes on the other side of things is far out, outweighs the negatives in my opinion just enjoyed the ride. Uh, I think I think we're getting something through from uh, from Hobart. Oh, that's the that. 
That's the collapse along sound. Uh, let's head over to Hobart to see how England are getting on. And I think, I think uh, there might be some bad news for England coming through. Mitchell Stark to Ben Stokes. Two slips and a gully wait. Stokes goes hard into the leg side. Cries of catch. Fielder running in. And Stokes is gone. And there goes the last vestiges of England possibly uh, chasing down around 270. Stokes going for five. Bowled by Stark. Going on the pull. Trying Ooh. to go after some runs. Finding Lyon. Uh, for England, that's that's the partnership that you'd really pin the hopes on. And from then on, it really wasn't looking likely, was it, Oli? No, I think you're right. Uh, oh, we haven't seen the Ben Stokes of sort of headingly, have we, all series, not played up to that role, plus the fact that he wasn't in top nick coming into this. I think it was more of a hope that it was him and Root that could uh, take us towards that target um, rather than an expectation. And the way he got out, I suppose, typified it because it, it was the sort of shot that Ben Stokes would, that you know, the fighting Ben Stokes would play, but it didn't quite come off. Um, and if anything, I suppose that sums up the way that England's tour has been, just, you know, falling quite upsettingly short. Yeah, he's he's obviously not come into it with uh, with any real practice. Obviously, he's gone through a very difficult period, which uh, led to him very unsoundly taking a break uh, from the game. And... Ultimately, if if the, you get the sense with Stokes that he he can be that game changer, but if the entire rest of the side just isn't offering anything, then that's an that's an awful lot to expect on on one bloke. But in the same case with Root, to be honest. Yeah, I mean it's the opposite really of of Green in a sense. I know that obviously Stokes is you know vastly experienced and has been vice captain all that kind of stuff. But if you're bowling all-rounder is given a platform from which they can perform you ask less of them and as a result you probably get more when there is so much uh, on their shoulders then you know it, for most people including ben stokes it appears at some time although he defies this then it is going to be too much to ask i think that's a really Mitchell interesting Scott. point actually sorry to interrupt there bit i think i think that's an interesting point Ollie. and actually if you if you think about the composition of a test match side you almost want your bowling all around, especially fast bowling all around, to be sort of icing on the cake of the team or the, the, the kind of final piece mm. of the jigsaw, not somebody who's necessarily a linchpin in a, in a way, because, you know, for that very reason, because he puts too much pressure on it. And I think with Stokes kind of being a, a such a focal point of this side, it, puts, it, it probably does put too much pressure on him from a bowling and field uh, and batting standpoint that you, we're not, you know, you're, you're not getting the best out of him. Um, you know, even even someone like Jack Callis back in the day, all right, he was a batting linchpin, but his bowling wasn't necessarily really, really required. He, you know, he was his bowling was the icing on the cake, um, and you know there probably wasn't that much pressure on it. But yeah, I think I think maybe, and we all know that Ben Stokes probably tries to do too much at times, but I think maybe England are expecting too much of him as well now. Back to India, the big news in world cricket this week, aside from. India losing a series, England getting battered again, is that Virat, Virat Kohli is retiring and stepping aside as the Indian Test Team captain. Satch, thoughts? It's monumental, isn't it? You know, it's... You often say in England about the uh, the English football manager, it's the most important job in the country. Um, well, you can imagine what the Indian cricket captain's like as well. It's it's huge. It's huge news. It's, again, like I said, it's the end of an era. But I think 
I think you could say it's the right time. Maybe maybe it is the right time. Coley's done maybe as much as he could. I think he's done an incredible amount. I think he's he's transformed the Indian test side. When he took over, India was ranked seventh in the world, I think. And now now being talked about as one of the best test sides in history, which is, you know, incredible transformation. Everything he's done, you know, not just with the sheer weight of runs he scored himself, but the way in which he's changed the mentality of playing aggressive cricket, the way he's changed the demeanour of the team and being aggressive on the field and you know, matching the Australians and South Africans and English players um, sledge for sledge. Uh, and, and, and you know, maybe he's gone too far and shouting into stump mics at times, but, you know, you, you take the rough with the smooth. And what he's done for the fitness of the team, you know, he's really in, in, instituted a fitness culture and led from the front on that one. And that's why we've got maybe the world's best fast bowling attack or fast bowling battery because, you know, India's seam bowlers can now outlast the opposition spell after spell after spell, session after session, day after day. Um, and, and, and that is all oh, massively down to Kohli and, and and the culture he's instituted and you know a lot of the behind-the-scenes work that's been done by the National Cricket Academy. But he's been the focal point of all of that. He's been the front-runner of all that. He's led by example um, in, in, in every aspect. And, you know, I, th- I think he is the real driver of turning India into a, a world-beaten test match team, a, a, a team that's feared across the world. Why do I think it's the right time, maybe, I think, you know, that sort of culture change of India being more aggressive on the field and that sort of demeanour, I think we needed that. We definitely needed that. But I think we've come to the point now where we're respected by every team in the world to some degree with regards to the cricket we play. You know, nobody looks at India now and thinks the walkovers or the pushovers. And that sort of real animated balls-to-the-wall leadership is... Maybe not required anymore. I think, you know, somebody we saw last year in, in Australia when we won the series in Australia, it was actually Rahane who led us to the Test Series victory. You know, Iceman, someone like Roger Sherman, who's a very successful captain, is also really calm and composed in the field. You know, I think maybe now it's time for that transition to a to a leader who can build on what Coley's done and, and take that culture and, and you know, just kind of be comfortable in in our own skin and identity as a as a formidable test team without having to show it aggressively as aggressively as Coley did. I'd also like to say that Coley, I know during the uh, the seemingly very long England India series of the past uh, ten months or so, there was a lot of uh, a lot of nibble going on from all sides, and and we commented on a little bit of the sort of nastiness. And people were sort of criticising Coley for being so intense and whatever. And I think one thing that's very fair to say that Coley has achieved in in being the India Test captain is that he's he, he makes it fun. He makes it more interesting. He has made the game more intense from a Test point of view in India. He has made them a much better side. But that has been for the better of Test cricket. I don't think there has been a player in the past 15 20 years whose personal impact upon the test game has been has been so much he shows such intensity he shows such enthusiasm for it that i think that helps wrap people up in the excitement of the test game he's also a player that over the past few years has has prioritized test cricket and has said we want to be the te- number one test side in the world more than t20 or winning the world cup and I think there's a lot to admire in the job that he's done in that. Like you say, Satch, as a result, 
the Indian Test cricket captain is arguably more famous than Narendra Modi in India. Like that is how big a job it is. It's not like here where we discuss, oh, should Joe Root be the England captain? And then we go back to talking about county decks and so on. It's almost like a world leader role. And I think Kohli has, has kind of really taken that size of the task on and and really helped flourish for the for the matter of the world game, to be honest. I think yeah, everything you said on said there is spot on, Betty. Um, you're absolutely right. Actually, there's a, a fantastic piece on Crick Info um, by Osman Samuddin, who's who wrote a piece about Cody. I'd recommend you read it. Um, everybody who listens, um, but you know, in that he talks about how Coley Coley's more than cricket, and the health of cricket depends on whether Coley, you know, what 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 he does. The health of the nation could depend on what Coley does. He is, you know, he's, he's he almost transcends. Um, you know the sport and the country and everything else he lives in. You know, he's he's just that important. He, he you know he, he for a period he almost outgrew cricket. Um, and you know the the article kind of focuses on how like you know now after that period where he, he was that such a big character, he kind of come back down to earth as everybody eventually has to. Um, and you know now, now we can see the effects of that. You know in, in his resigning test captain, but he, you know he he, he, he was. Uh, he he's so he he has been so important for the health of Test cricket. You know he's he's been very explicit in saying this is the premier form of cricket in our eyes. This is what we want to prioritise. This is what we want to be the best at. And you know he he has brought a real intensity to everything that he does to how Test cricket is played. I mean, compare comparing India playing Test cricket to England, it's not just ability levels, but India seems to play it with so much more intensity. I know it's one of those sort of abstract cliche words that gets thrown about, and it can be hard to kind of pin down exactly what we mean but we all seem to know what it means and you know there were a couple of times in the England series over the summer where especially the, the test matches at Lords and Oval where we we won those matches just with sheer force of will on the final day bowling England out and from from positions where we thought it was going to meander out to a draw um, and you know, that all comes from the energy and the aggression that he brings on field and um, you know it's, it's, it's had a real transformational effect on the India team and I think test cricket as a whole and uh, just finishing up on uh, Virat and India, uh, we've got uh, a spill in the chai in. Uh, so this is spill in the chai with Sach Agarwal. Why will India always be better than England? How do I get Virat to father my kids? Why are Punjab so bad? Spilling the chai with Sach. Ooh, I imagine, such with uh, Virat spending less time on captaincy duties, uh, you might have more of an opportunity to get into father your kids. <laughs> I need to actually get in the same country at some point, though, to do that. So uh, this week's Spoon the Chai has been sent in from Sean, and uh, relating to our chat on Virat, he says, uh, put simply, what do you think this means for the future of Test cricket in India? It's an interesting one. I don't think it means that much, really. I still think, yeah, you know, he's not retired from Test cricket. He's still going to play. He's still the game's biggest superstar. Let's not make no mistake of that. Um, and he still wants to be the best in the world at Test cricket. You know, he's not going to take it lying down. People talking about Joe Root and Steve Smith and Marnus and Kane Williamson is better than him. You know, nobody's wanted to prove people wrong more than there has. So he's still he's still going to want to carry it forward. So. Um, I think Test cricket's still in good health in India. Rahul Dravid as coach, we, we all know he'll 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 want to be prioritising that. I think India are a little bit stung by their previous World Cup 
um, performances in White Bull, and there probably is going to be a bit of a, a culture shift uh, in how cricket is prioritised and, and the pathway going forward. But I think we're lucky that we've got such an abundance of talent in India that we could, we can do that. We can prioritise White Bull and prioritise Red Bull. We could play three separate teams and, and win those tournaments. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried for the future of Test cricket in India. There's plenty of young lads coming through that we want to see in the Test Test eleven. Yeah, there's, there's millions, there's millions <laughs> of young lads who are all all better than every player from England, South Africa, Australia, West Indies combined. You know, yeah, exactly. We've 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 talked about a number of lads on this podcast who don't even get a look into the bench at the moment. You know, the Shubman Gills. Um, you know, Rohit Sharma's got to come back into the team. Shreya Sai scored a century on debut and not in the team again. Hanuma Vahari's still getting sent round in the eight tours as scout missions, but you know, he's been staking and clean for the testing. There's just there's there's so many of them. There's, the list is endless. My boy Washington somebody's still there. I still want him back in the team somehow or another. Um yeah, look, we we've 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 got a bright future. I'm I'm not worried. I just feel like he's in now, Steve Smith. He's just seen the ball a lot better. Oh, you've got to you've got to give yourself some of the highlights of the tour. One of the, one of the great commentators' curses. Yeah, it's marvelous. You, 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 regardless of who it is, England, Australia, it's uh, it's one of the joys of the game. Yeah, and Smith's impact in the series uh, predominantly boils down to this. That's naughty. That'll do. That's <laughs> been been stuck in the series. Incredible. Being stuck in a lift and being fed uh, M&Ms through the door of uh, said lift by Marnus Lavashane. Uh, sadly, <laughs> as much as it pains me to say it, uh, cricket's most lovable bro, uh, bro duo. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a brotherly thing though, or it's like a pining on the part of Marnie to be friends with uh, with Steve Smith because I, I don't get the sense that it's reciprocated. No, I well, think my it is. take on it, my take on it is that. Basically, it's not that Marnus wants to be Steve Smith. It's ultimately that Steve Smith has found a mate who loves cricket as much as his he does, exactly. and is as weird is as weird as him, and is obsessed as obsessed with improvement and the game as he is. That's what it boils down to to me, I think, and that's why you get Marnus being the one feeding in M and M's through the through the left door. I mean, it's not it's not Nathan Lyon. It's not even new Captain Cummins. It's there. It's his boy Marnie. You know what? There was actually a really good article on the BBC this week about Lavashane playing club cricket in England. About feeding M&Ms through the lift. No, sorry. I'm talking <laughs> him being slightly, you know, bizarre, eccentric, we'll call him. Uh, and playing for Plymouth, I think it was. And in his first game, he visualised getting 100. And like literally ball by ball. So spent an hour sitting on the bench before the game. And then got 100 and then got out and he realised that that's because he didn't visualise getting more than 100. So the next week he came back, <laughs> sat on bench for two hours, visualised getting 200 and then obviously got 200. So, uh, you know, if it's seeing is believing and all that. I love, I love what a, what a weird but lovable guy he is. I love, uh, I love, love Marnus my, my sister's obsessed with Marnus Labashane TikTok and by that I mean not Marnus Labashane's own TikTok, just TikTok. A segment of TikTok no that, is, that is dedicated to Marnus Labashane, <laughs> and she said this is. She, she said she spends hours on it. <laughs> he is, he, he is, he's good fun. I do love him. 
Uh, I'm quite surprised that a friend of the show, uh, Nick Friend, uh, the friend of the show, I should say, to be honest, uh, hasn't written a 5,000 word long read on Steve Smith being stuck in the lift yet. He fully has. It's in his document. <laughs> Probably has. Just play- it's just not been commissioned it's- by the cricketer yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's in his notes and hasn't made it through editorial. Anyway, uh, we will be speaking uh, more and more about England with the bat as England's wickets uh, likely continue to fall down in Tasmania on uh, the collapse along. England with the ball. We've spoken very little about England with the ball. Uh, batting seems to have defined the series. Uh, but how how do you take it that England have got on in general with the ball? But I don't. Well, as I said at the top of the show, I actually don't think they've been that bad. It's testament to some of their bowling performances that Smith hasn't really fully got going. Warner hasn't fully got going. When um, Head and Kawaja have scored tons, it's been more a marker of their ability and, and sensational knocks rather than England just, just gifting them runs. I think Wokes probably hasn't had the series that he would have liked. But apart from that, I don't think you can really turn to any bowler and say that they've performed massively uh, under what you would expect or, or what they would have liked. The exception obviously being the, you know, the omission or the lack of a, a frontline spinner who can take a bit of pressure off um, the bowlers. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's really Leach's fault per se. I just don't think he's a... Well, England don't have a spinner of a good enough quality. Ollie, do you reckon Do you reckon England put so much effort into maybe bowling to Smith you know, with all the planning that goes on and work behind the scenes and, and, and Warner and Labashin to some extent that once they got those guys out, they kind of dropped the ball a bit where, where then the likes of Head and Kawaja have come in and Cam Green to some extent have come in and actually, you know, blazed away, scored big tons. Um, do you reckon there was kind of a, maybe a lack of intensity to those other lads because all the energy was focused on players like Smith? It's a good point. I haven't really considered that. Uh, my initial response would be no. It's probably more a case of us being able to see how actually good Green and Kawaja and Head are because they're usually coming in when Australia have got such a foundation in place that they can't prove themselves to be. Um, you know the sort of players that can get Australia out of a sticky mess it's just embellishing what is already a good position um, yet they were forced to, to assume a, a slightly different role um, so you know perhaps you are right and the, and the intensity naturally probably would drop off if you're getting Smith and Labuschagne out who are probably the two prized carrots but I think you do have to give a, a little bit of credit to the Australian middle lower middle order for, for coming in and improving um, themselves in the way that they did I think that's a separate issue to not being able to blow a tail away, which has been a while for, uh, an issue for a while, though. Yeah, I thought the, the one of the real defining moments in this in this test, even though England did manage to bowl out Australia for on paper pretty respectable totals, uh, was that in that first innings they really started to lose some yards on Australia with the way they were bowling quite loose. I mean, Wood bowled much better in the second innings, but he was going at. He was going at sixes broadly for his spells, and it doesn't seem to have all generally, apart from probably that that final innings get uh, innings at Hobart, really knitted together or properly. We've we've seen fits and starts. We've seen Robinson uh, hit his line and length nicely, and then get Harris out for a, for a couple, or then get the number three out. But it's never quite all knitted together as a bowling performance. Obviously, it's been better than the batting. But at the same time, it's never all the all the cogs haven't whirred at the same time. 
but the cogs individually haven't done that badly. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think England's bowlers, by and large, have had good spells and and very well. Seldom, I'm, I, just, I feel like I'm just repeating exactly what you said here. Very seldom has that happened at the same time. So yeah, I agree actually. Oh, thanks. Fantastic. I mean, you just look down at the averages. Uh, Broad and Robinson, 26-25. Anderson, 23. Uh, Ignore Leach. Uh, Wood, 26. It's, it's it's not too bad, but it generally you know has that, been. In England, that's not bad. In Australia, that's, like, decent. On, on uh, Admittedly, Hobart, there was a bit of assistance on some of the other tracks. You know, we're more bowler-friendly than we used to. But in Australia, an average of 26 for a fast bowler, who are a typical, you know we're used to our bowlers being late seventies and trying to knit the ball around when it doesn't actually do that. You know, I, I think that's actually, decent. I'm really sorry, Ollie, uh, but I'm going to have to interrupt you uh, because uh, I think we're actually a little bit behind on what's happening over in Hobart. I think there's been uh, another wicket in the collapse. Oh, no, uh... It's an absolutely horrific selection of sounds that I've put together there. Do not like that one. Okay, I'll... You've had a shocker today, Bertie, on the, on the soundboard. Uh, but I think, I think uh, the fifth wicket is under threat. He's like an absolute metronome. Here he comes again. And both bowling! He's bowled Joe Root. And Root's saying that kept low. Boland, round about his normal. Oh, my word. That's a stinker. Unplayable. Shuttle on the ground. An absolute stinker, says Jonathan Agnew. Uh, thank you, Agus, for providing uh, that update. 12 hours behind in uh, Hobart or ahead. I can't remember which way it is. It's just it's Australia, a different part of the world. They're probably on a different time. Uh, as he says, a simply unplayable ball. Boland done bits this series. I think it's fair to say, uh, kept so incredibly low. To be fair to Root, no batsman in the world is expecting that ball. Yeah, again, beyond even his powers to, to try and keep that out is so harsh. I think even if if he if the ball had gone on its usual trajectory, I think it would have hit him quite high up on the bat, which speaks volumes of how dodgy that ball was. But again, sort of you know typifies how the tour's gone, um, forces outside Joe Root's power proving to be his undoing, which ultimately is what has happened on this tour. What's been going on with Australia with like lads like Travis Head coming in and acting like prime Adam Gilchrist and then this Scott Boland comes in and acts like a prime Glenn McGrath? It's, it, 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 it's mental. I've never, never seen anything like that. I, I do that's... agree. I've... Sorry to interrupt, Bertie, but I don't think we've actually had the opportunity, other than opener, on this merry-go-round of Australian openers that seems to be never-ending, there's not really been an opportunity for anyone to come and do that because if, if it's a player in the middle order, all the like the top order have been scoring runs and bolt, like there's not really been a, an interruption of a new fastballer in recent times. I think uh, mm. from England's point of view, almost what's depressing is that the fact that you've, you've got that massive top three with those big three batsmen, you've got Labashane, Warner, Smith, your big guns. But when it comes to the and when it comes to the bowlers, you've got some big guns. But like Head and Kawaja coming in and scoring an absolute bucket of runs is sort of, in a way, a little bit depressing and almost like a sort of, oh, well, if the if the average lads are doing really well, and picking up for the ones who are on paper supposed to be really good, then what chance have we got? Yeah, and I think that's summed up by them needing to, well, essentially side between who they pick at five for Hobart. Was it Kawaja coming off two double hundreds or Head who had scored 100 already in the series? What England would give for, for that kind of conundrum? 
Yes, uh, England currently five down. They, they could they could still claw their way back into it, though it's looking unlikely because Ollie Pope hasn't scored many runs. And looking down my chart, Pope played uh, three tests and scored 67 runs. So uh, fingers crossed England will be able to chase down that 270. Australia, let's talk about the Aussies. We've done a lot of chat about England and we will yet do more as the collapse potentially comes in on the collapse-a-thon. Australia looking in mighty good stead at the moment. Let's remind ourselves that just six weeks or so ago, they won the T20 World Cup, and now they've absolutely whitewashed England, a side which had been embroiled in uh, Justin Langer uh, talking a load of shite and posting on LinkedIn and liking, liking things on LinkedIn around leadership whilst everything seemed to be crumbling, uh, has classically <laughs> completely reversed <laughs> They've gone and won a tournament that they weren't back for at all and weren't fancied. They've won the Ashes, four point nine nil, as uh, as the great cricket described it as. And with the T uh, Twenty World Cup now again this year in Australia, they're probably going to win that as well. They they've suddenly seemed to really reverse their fortunes a little bit. This is a side. Let's not forget who at home do have every basis. Again, I go back to my earlier point. Every basis except for an opener covered. You know, they're in a position where almost 2 to 11, there isn't a spot which there is a question about. So, you know, they, they probably have arguably overperformed. They're, they're with the ball coming, Stark and Hazelwood, particularly, and Green, I suppose, as well, um, was expected to be their frontline seamers and did as much, if not more, than what they ex- were expected to do. And then Boland is obviously come in and done exceeded expectations as well um but i don't think it's a massive surprise that they've been as dominant as they have considering how good their side is in home conditions in particular and this let's not you know we skew our you know um interpretations of sides massively by how they perform on away series if this same england and australia series had taken place in england obviously it wouldn't be five nil and well, you'd hope it wouldn't be five or four nil. Um, and questions might be, different questions might be asked of this Australia side and, and certain English players might have performed, but particularly in home home conditions, that they, they are exceptional. I think the, I think we need to also bear in mind that, especially on the bowling front for Australia, thinking bowling against the batting line of that is abject. It's completely devoid of confidence. It's completely devoid of any sort of mental state for test match pattern. And, while they have played really well Australia this series, they have been suited by home conditions. Um, the depth looks good, of course it does, but the real they've got some real acid tests coming up now. They've got te- a test series in Pakistan um, and that's going to really show how good Australia's pace attack is on, on maybe pitches that are not as conducive. Um, we'll see what the depth is like on the spin front because Lyon hasn't looked in amazing form of late. He didn't even have to um, he didn't have to bowl in that fifth test. I don't think he didn't, didn't have bowl to a bowl ball. ball in, in, in Hobart. Exactly. And then you know we'll see how these batsmen fare as well in 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 conditions that are slightly alien to them. So um yeah as the old saying goes you can only beat what's put in front of you and what was put in front of Australia was an awful English side in Australian conditions. Um but I think we need to slightly temper our um opinions of them to some you know a little bit 
again, those change players that have come in, and I'm going to focus on one in particular, they would make a change and then it would look like absolutely inspired selection in comparison to England selection would look absolutely unreal, let's be honest. Uh, one in particular who... <laughs> ridiculous figures coming out of his three tests. Scott Boland, a player who is described by metronomic in in some instances by uh, by commentators but sort of does a job hits the line and length has a very good record for uh, for victoria uh, particularly the mcg which was the game he came in for and he's had three matches he's bowled 81 overs 18 wickets average of under 10 which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous and all of the players who've come in be it uh, hazelwood generally bowled well when he played uh, Michael Nisa sort of did a job. Like every player who's come in for Australia has has turned up, which is fairly pretty impressive, even if it is a home series. I literally maybe you can help me with this. I I have, I have no idea where Boland came from, and how, uh, Victoria. I don't know how he, well, I was about to say I, I know that. I mean, I, I don't think I really did know that. Was he was he has he been around this side for a while? I don't know where he's come from and how he. Has proved to be apparently so good. I do, I think there's merit in what Satch what Satch said. If he was bowling against India last, when was that? A year ago that um, yeah that India conquered yeah. Australia. Then he might be returning different figures in his maiden Test series. But the fact that he was playing against a, a, an England side void of confidence and bowling well, bowling sort of on a two punt um, and on a pitch that helped him I suppose in Hobart's instance then it, it was destined to succeed um, but yeah I think any player coming into a side that is um, either performing so well or is under the pump as much as England were it dictates to an extent how you will fare I think yeah and and that six for seven that he took was absolutely insane but even if you take that out he's still averaging 15 with the ball like he's he's played really really well I think he was very much a sort of mainstay of uh, Victoria's Sheffield Shield side and game at the MCG, home game. He knows the conditions really well and he came there and absolutely swamped the England batsmen. Uh, but this is what it's been for Australia in this series. England have played, have batted really badly, but this is, and this is the problem that they've had. We've said, we said in the last podcast that they've played against bowling attacks which aren't quite as good and have got away with it. When they play against bowling attacks like India or like Australia, particularly at home, that are really a great cohesive unit, they get really, really found out, which is what we've seen for the entire series. Uh, I think uh, it might be just worth us reflecting on on the series as a whole. And I was thinking, well, we could just, we could talk about who who do we think our player of the series are, and so on, or the ones who've not done very well. Well, in general, everyone from Australia has played really well, and there is no player. That, that has played so much better than everyone else. It's insane. I mean, Head was the player of the series. So I don't think there's much point in us uh, dwelling on who or who isn't the player of the series. Instead, as Max has mentioned previously, this is it's been such a comical series. So I think it's very suitable for us to reflect on all of the comical moments that have happened over the course of this series. I'm just adjusting that down to the right level. Comical highlights, boys. It's been it's been a fairly mad series. Something we we thought England could get was maybe a test win nearly happened up until that final session. Uh, but the funny stuff it's it's not quite gone to plan. Uh, what have your highlights been? Um, 
I mean, looking back, Rory Burns getting skittled first ball is sort of slightly funny, I suppose. I think that was very funny. That basically set the tone for the series. I think after ball one of an Ashes series to see that and you just know that at least a 4.9 mil on the cards, <laughs> that was pretty poetic. It really did set the tone for the entire series. Uh, although uh, not great for future routes, uh, rooting the crotch several times really sort of seemed to lessen the England fan pain for the time being. Although, as Ollie rightly said, everyone's laughing at this, but he may no longer be able to sire children. It's genuinely an issue. <laughs> there was some serious concern from Ollie Gordon when, uh, on our group chat when we were talking about this. We, we, Understandably we all so. A bit of, yeah, but we all seemed to find, think it was hilarious. Ollie's like, it's not a laughing matter, lads. You, know, you, you might need surgery. You might not be able to have kids. <laughs> I'm sure he's got enough kids as it is. Uh, hopefully, we can hope and pray. I'd also like to throw in a new one. Marnus going for a walk uh, in one of the worst uh, worst bits of positioning on the crease I've seen in a while. Uh, England's constant collapses. Uh, Butler dropping Marnus is also in there. And I think you've really got to round that off with uh, with Nude Gate. Look, I think, I think this whole episode requires a bit more comment on the whole in a more serious way but it, it was a very bizarre episode like it, it, Australia investigated them on this years ago and concluded that it was okay and suddenly when it came public that they, you know, they decided his position's untenable but I think Australia have actually I think worked well for them I, I, I don't rate Tim Payne that much as a player or a captain I think it, I think uh, Australia have come out for the better with Tim Payne not being there right, Satch, I'm, I'm really sorry I'm going to have to interrupt you because uh, there's been another wicket that's fallen down in Hobart. In we're sort of only an hour in, and we've already lost four wickets. Uh, this is this is the sixth. I think I think we're going to lose another one. Chipped away, out. Cummins takes the catch. Boland has another one. Getting closer, the Aussies. Yeah, that one uh, chipped to mid on, and not the greatest dismissal. Uh, but I think actually we've got another alert coming through. Because we're a little bit behind and uh, seven wickets have just fallen. Too far across. Pat Collins gets his first run this innings. Uh, Ollie Pope, uh, too far across. Ollie, you're not. You're really not quite as good a batsman as Ollie Pope. You wouldn't have scored that many fewer runs than uh, than old Popey this series, though. Not had quite the series uh, that we've all wanted him to have, has he? Uh, no. He's had so much expected of him and been so built up since his introduction in the test side, I don't know, two, three years ago. Um, a lot based on the fact that he averages 9,000 at, at the Oval, which is the easiest place to pass. Why don't we play every test at the Oval? Every single test should be played at the Oval. Because I, well, he's got beat there I, by India. And that would really please all those people who uh, want to talk about the uh, county championship being moved because it's the best batting deck. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't really have. I don't know what the answer is anymore. Um, but I'm sorry to go to go back to Pope because I can get, you've sort of triggered me slightly here. Um, but the fact that he's he's performed quite well, quite yeah, quite well in in English domestic cricket has meant that he hasn't really had to tinker or, or work out what he might ever need to do differently. And then he's come into various series against India. Um, Against basically against players of, of better caliber and playing away Australia where he hasn't performed obviously in an international shirt and been 
found out. And I don't think that's necessarily a surprise because he hasn't been proven beforehand, yet now he's being called a failure because he's unable to handle those challenges that are coming at him. You know, I, I do. I think you have to sort of put your eggs in some youngsters' baskets and say that they're going to be the ones to take us forward. But similarly, when they fail, you have to invest and say, right, well, this is your first time playing in Australia. What can you do differently? Um, and it's clear that he need, like, he's so crabby at the crease. I, I think it's probably a, a fast bowler's dream to be bowling at, particularly when he's, when he's um, void of any confidence. Ollie, do you reckon that Ollie, with Ollie Pope, he, he seems to be a bit of an enigma to me. You know, everybody says he scores a million runs and he's you know, England's hottest talent and, uh, and whatnot. But do you think his deficiencies at test level are actually more mental than they are technical because to me especially starting from that India series back in back in India back in the winter um, he, he looks shot to pieces mentally he looks completely scrambled he doesn't know what he's doing at the crease in my eyes but what, what, what do you reckon? No yeah I, I definitely think there's something in that I think he's worked himself into like this little bit of a hole where you know he's questioning his technique and all the time now Um but this is sort of what I heart back to when I think about the fact that he was so has been so highly rated coming into the side and then starts to fail and the wheels start to come off that you're inevitably going to start doubting yourself and thinking, well, other people rate me, but I'm not scoring any runs. So at what point am I going to stop playing? And then, you know, your technique gets brought into question. I think it's almost similar really to Hamid. A lot of people were pro him playing in uh, this series to start with. And then a few failures, a few no scores. He starts questioning his own technique. Other people are calling for his head and I think it's inevitable that you're going to be scrambled. But I do 100% think that psychologically he's shot at the minute and yeah, maybe he needs to go back to, maybe he needs to go back to the overland and score runs and works out what it is that made him successful in the first place and then and then hone that so he's at least got sort of an air of reliability. But I think that that's a bit of a catch twenty two situation for England in the sense that they've tried this before with Ollie Pope. He's, he's had a bad run, so he send him back off to the Oval, and then he inevitably scores a million runs and he's back in the Test match side again, and the cycle continues. You know, in this situation, you're kind of stuck between: do you give the lad a longer run in the side and just you know let him bed him because he is England's hottest prospect and everybody thinks he's going to come good, or do you take him out the five nine again and say you need to get get yourself in a, into a mental state? But are you just perpetuating that cycle? What what do you do? I I don't think there's a I don't think there's a right answer or not necessarily a, a, an answer here where where you can win. I think I think it's a lose lose situation regardless. No, hundred percent, I do agree. I I don't think there is a right answer because you don't want any player to be to lose any more confidence that is going to ultimately hinder them in the long term. Um, I think the key going out of this series or leaving this series is which players. And I know this sounds ridiculous now because we've because England have performed so poorly, but which players might come back in theory in four years and be better for this experience and which are going to go away and, you know, or which have we established are, are not fit to wear an England shirt now or at some point in the future? Because you could argue that Ollie Pope, having been on his experience, learnt about on Australian pitches, albeit not having proved it with the scores that he's got, could he come back in four years with a little bit more experience and a little bit more nous in the international shirt and, and be better for it? And if he can, then that's when you stick with them. If there are other players who, you know, haven't either got what it takes or haven't shown, you know, the capabilities to improve over a sustained period of time, then they're they're the ones where you or instances where you probably cut ties. Yeah, I think you hit the nail. How is that one? Oh, sorry, we're gonna have to cross over to Henry Moran. I think he's got an update. Bowling rolling it again from the far end. Edge taken brilliantly. One handed, Alex Carey to his right. 
Chris Wokes going for the big heave ho, and it's another wicket for the golden arm of Scott Boland. He says these, uh, Chris Wokes going for the big heave ho. To be fair to England, one of the best bits of their batting lineup in the past few tests has been that heave ho from the Wood and Wokes combo. Uh, they, uh, they've they've offered a bit of a blast at times, and that's you've you've got to really make the most of the small things, really. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if that's what we're taking away from the series, then um, <laughs> that says it all. Good catch, by the way. It wasn't. I mean, it was not an unbelievable catch. It was pretty smart snaffle. Smart snaffle. Uh, but I'm informed that oh, just uh, just a couple of balls later, I'm going to have to cross back to Henry Moran once again. Australia need. Two, to, two wickets to win, England chasing 2-7-1. Plays on, there's another. England 123 for nine. Middle stump lies back, almost comically. Almost comically, I mean, I mean, we, we joke about this, in that you are listening to the Collapsathon on the wrong end, but these, apart from the three minutes that it requires a player to walk out and another player to walk back in, we've been playing these out in real time. To emphasise, I, I didn't actually realise how funny this would be to listen to in like semi-real time. Just, just how bad England are. Well, I mean, you can uh, judge whether or not the <laughs> listeners find this actually funny, uh, but at least you are. The in it's brilliant over the course of the past seventy-two minutes, England have lost seven wickets not in good. actual play. It, of all the of all the collapses, the most comical of the lot. You've got to feel as well for like Wood and Broad this series where I I can't work out the math here and now. What it's maybe two, three hours or four, Wood getting out of here and the, uh, nearly England series coming to an end. He was celebrating taking a five for in Australia in a way. situation. I think uh, to round all this off, uh, I think... I think England's valiant defence, well, I say defence of the Ashes, they didn't even obtain the Ashes in the first place. The valiant attempt to win one test uh, might be coming to a close because we've got one final wicket that's fallen and uh, let's cross over to Australia. That's it. It's all over. Australia win in Hobart. They win the fifth test and more importantly, they win this Ashes series 4-0. Can I just say there was was absolutely nothing Nothing at all valiant about England's attempt at the Ashes. <laughs> they did turn up. It was. Uh, I think they would have. Is it is it Mish? You said that they would have actually been better had they forfeited every match because they've lost so many points in the World Class Championship due to slow over it. Yeah, Vish uh, Hantharaja had said that uh, England genuinely would have been better not turning up because they were docked uh, points for their slow over rate. Uh, one final, uh, one final serious cricketing bit before we we have a we have a brief appearance from uh, someone who's not here with us. Uh, interview between Joe Root and David Gower, obviously one current England captain, one England captain of old. Gower seemed quite furious on on BT Sport in his analysis of uh, of England's latest and definitely, I do think, most humiliating batting collapse. Such as you said, I think it was fifty six runs for ten wickets, which <laughs> was, yeah. which after, after they put on more in the opening partnership than they did in the following ten wickets. And Gower really grilled Root, and I think I think grill was the word that the BT Sport YouTube channel used. And I think it was quite apt. In he was saying things like, "You've things have slipped." in loads of matches over the past year 
what do you make of that response? If you're not making those runs, how do you go and change that? How do you build resilience? Do you feel let down in terms of resources? You really sort of didn't go in on route, but asked, asked the sort of big questions that a lot of cricket fans are wondering. And to be honest, you don't really blame him for asking those questions because even though you don't want to see cricketers under the pump from people at home when obviously they don't want to be losing matches. It's difficult. They've been away from their families for a lot of the past year. But those are the questions which will be reverberating around English cricket for the next few months. I mean, Root in his response said, the pandemics do take a toll. The management of tours, it does wear you down. England have played an awful lot of test cricket over the past year. And and these aren't these are mitigating circumstances only to an extent, but it's it it can't it can't be easy on being an England test cricketer just at the moment, can it? Not just in terms of performances, but it must be quite wearing, Ollie. Yeah, I feel for Root in that instance, or well, England generally in, in the hierarchy, because there is there are so many things from the foundation upwards that have gone wrong in the last, I don't know, probably five, ten years since we were number one test side, and I probably include things like the 100 in that which you know i am pro 100 i enjoy it as an event but taking players away from red bull cricket is is an issue then you've got the whole fact of, of the championship not actually paying players for test cricket um players going and playing international cricket in countries where they've never played before and expecting a lot of them i think there's so many issues at, at bay here and no easy way to solve them um and that's a product of the, of the cricketing society that we live in now where Money talks, um, whiteboard takes precedence because of that. You're playing so much cricket between um, all the formats. And I, I don't really know where you go to, to provide answers to all those various you know matters. And, and it's why Root has such a tough job on his hands trying to field all these questions. And I do think Look, that... Look, I, I reckon... Sorry, Bertie, to interrupt, but I reckon... You know, while I would say I think Silver would need to go as coach, I don't think he's fit for the job. I think Root probably does need to go as captain, but actually I can't really see a replacement for him, and I don't think that's a massive issue. And you know, what Ollie's touched on all those macro factors regarding English cricket about pre- preference of white ball and too much cricket and what what not. But I, I think fundamentally, and I don't think we should lose sight of this. In- England currently just don't have a great crop of players. You know, 10 years ago, when England were the number one test side in the world, they had an obscene crop of players. They had unbelievable batsmen, they had unbelievable pace bowlers, and they had a world-leading spinner in Graham Swan. Now, they don't have any of those things. And, you know, I think you, I think you guys boys touched on this in more depth on the previous podcast, but that's just sometimes the way sport goes, and maybe we get caught up in all these structural things, and, you know, you, know, you want root and branch reviews and whatnot, and people getting sacked. But root and branch reviews? The, 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 it's, yeah, yeah Ruth and Silverwood reviews. But the, the, the players are just not there. There's just not the depth of talent right now. And, you know, come five years' time, ten years' time, if we're still doing the wrong, then I think we might be having a different conversation. I think that England might be in a position like India where they've got an abundance of talent. That's just the way elite level sport goes sometimes. I think there are general questions about uh, medium long term things that go back a few years. And yes, uh, England, England don't have uh, the greatest crop of players around at the moment. And you could also argue that when England were good, there were also players that, in in some guises, weren't as sort of. I, I, I don't like to use this word because it's unfair on those players who represented England, but they were, uh, but almost not as English, in that you had players like KP, you had <laughs> players like Jonathan Trot, you you had a number of players that performed 
extremely well for England and had every right to play for England, but they didn't come through the county setup. And England don't have a great crop of players, but there are fair questions to ask about how England are developing players. They've not had any decent real openers for for about a decade since Andrew Strauss retired. Uh, Cook didn't have a decent opener with him for a number of years uh, in the twilight of his career. There are a lot of questions as to England developing their test side, but it, it is also very difficult. And as you say, test cricket is a sport where if people don't quite click all at once, it's it's one of the most psychological of sports. It's one of the reasons why we love to watch it. It's why people sit themselves down for five days in a row, have it on in the background, have it on TMS, or actively watch it like mad people for hours a day. It's because psychologically, even if generally the best sides win, the best sides are also ones who psychologically can get themselves in gear. And if things aren't going well, it's quite difficult for England, it's quite difficult for players to do. England have played an awful lot of tests this series and there's a whole lot of factors that play as to why this England side haven't been playing very well. But it's 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 not easy. And that's and that's my final serious point. Before we go, uh, Max Parry, who actually tried to organise originally this recording, uh, has uh, has a few words to say and I think we should just have a couple of more light-hearted extras and we don't even know what he says in them. Uh, a couple of light-hearted extras just before we go. Extra, extra, read all about it. Yeah, extra, extra, read all about it. Here is Max Parry uh, with a voice note sent in from the pub, I believe. No idea what he's going to provide, but hopefully it's of interest. Hello, boys. I'm in a pub as I speak to you now. I'm having a few lovely pints of Dark Star. I normally have London Pride in this pub, but they've got Dark Star on and it's... Uh, Sounds a little bit like Superhands off Peep Show. You know what I mean? It's a bit like, what's a cricket in an energy for a guest ale? I guess it's a bit like Stan Billings, getting him in, you know what I mean? Interesting, exciting, fundamentally unremarkable, as Dark Star is, but... Um, how do I feel? I feel like I should count how I feel in terms of cricket conversation. Really and truly, I sort of feel uh, quite empty, really. But I guess that's a personal problem. Um... Just pausing him there, because it's, it's not quite the positivity that I was hoping for. I was hoping we'd get a jovial Max, but he just sounds very sad. No, I hope you're having a nice time recording the podcast. Who's McQuarrie to go back? Uzi's part of the squad. I think Uzi, Uzi, Uzi... He's a good guy. I can't wait to see him play. And he's a good player, but fundamentally, he's not going to be one of the great players because fucking softcock. How many parts do you think he's had at this point? <laughs> I, I, I hope enough to justify some very unpopular opinions. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll plow on. Um, edit that out. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Sachi's on the pod. Obviously, South Africa beat India. Fucking just weak as piss, aren't they, really? Um, oh, Kieran's here. He's got a beers in. Kieran's got a beers. Kieran, what beers you got? Kieran, what beers you got? You're on the wrong end. You're on the wrong end. Oh, he's, he's... Silence. Silence. I know what I got you. You know what you got, eh? Uh, I got the dark ale. Dark I ale. I got myself a... Betlins. Say something about cricket. <laughs> I love Roy Burns' hair. He loves Roy Burns' hair. I would condition Roy Burns' hair. He would, it's nice hair. he would condition his hair. It's nice hair. It's nice hair, apparently. Pan, Pantin Pro-V. Ah, let's have that. Sorry, Kieran just remarked about Richard Pant. Kieran, what were you saying about Richard Pant? He's just chubbier than you'd think he'd be. What do you mean, what do you, what do you mean by that? 
he's just carrying, he's carrying more, more weight around the waist than you think, you know, a first-class wicketkeeper slash batsman would have. Why? Chubby. <laughs> okay. Carry. It should be said for the tape that Kieran it, it does genetically howl from India, and it's not a racially motivated comment. <laughs> can we keep this in? I don't think we can. I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> quite know. It uh, should be pointed out that uh, in terms of editorial stance, I mean, uh, Max works for GB News, and that would be absolutely acceptable. So, and I think, I, I mean, I didn't ex- expect quite that stream of consciousness, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, this isn't how I expected to end this, this chat. It, it's actually, I was actually, you know, verging on emotional with your closing remarks there, Bertie. So I feel like we've regressed somewhat in the last four minutes, but I should expect yeah. the introduction of Max Perry. We should always expect that from the introduction of Mark Perry. The man is a degenerate. Uh, we've really set the tone. Nice that. Uh, we've been going over for eighty minutes. We've had some very. We've absolutely covered everything. We've covered all of cricket, and we've ended on a man saying that Richard Pant is faster than you'd expect for a top-level cricketer. <laughs> and with that, I hope you all uh, have a lovely week. Uh, we'll be back soon to cover the washes as well as because we've had the mashes. We've now got the washes as well as England series in the West Indies. Have a lovely week. See you soon. Bye. Cheers, bye. Bonjour.